Hello, Mississippi and surrounding areas. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, and I want to welcome you to our live weekly version of the original Southern Remedy. That's the one where you can call in about any kind of questions you want to ask about anything medical, and we will do our best to give you an answer. We'll do anything from toenail fungus to migraine headaches or whatever's on your mind, and I have a a guest who was going to talk a little bit uh, about uh, anesthesia since we are having more and more people have surgery. So give us a call. We're at, at Southern Remedy at mpbonline.org for emails or one mpb ring We'll be right back after the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Donald Trump is selecting Iowa Governor Terry Branstad, who's described himself as a friend of China's president, to serve as ambassador to China. Here's NPR's Mara Lyson. Branstad was one of Trump's earliest supporters among the Republican establishment. He's stuck with Trump when few other Republican elected officials would support him. Branstad also has a long relationship with China's leaders, who he met on numerous agricultural trade missions to China beginning in the 1980s. Trump transition spokesman Jason Miller said that Trump chose Branstad because he has a lot of experience and a grasp of trade and agricultural issues. The Chinese government reacted positively to Branstad's appointment, and that's quite a change because for the last several days, Trump has been publicly critical of China for what he called currency manipulation and unfair trade practices. He also risked China's wrath with a phone call to the president of Taiwan. The U.S. has a defense agreement with Taiwan, but out of deference to China, not an official diplomatic relationship. Mara Liason, NPR News, Washington. President-elect Trump is looking to donors to help fund the transition and to cover inaugural expenses. This morning, he held a fundraiser in New York City. The event's hosts included Treasury Secretary nominee Steve Mnuchin, a longtime Wall Street executive, and billionaire Wilbur Ross, Trump's choice to lead the Commerce Department. Seventy-five years ago today, more than 300 Japanese planes thundered over the skies of Pearl Harbor. About two hours later, the attack was over, and more than 2,400 Americans were dead. As Hawaii Public Radio's Bill Dorman reports, survivors of the battle are now well into their 90s and older. The USS Arizona has become a different kind of memorial. Since 1982, as survivors of the attack have passed away, they've had an option to be buried with their shipmates. So far, 39 sailors and Marines who survived the attack on December 7th have chosen to have their remains placed in the Arizona. Today, two more shipmates will join them. That's Hawaii Public Radio's Bill Dorman. The U.S. and five other Western powers are calling for an immediate ceasefire in the Syrian city of Aleppo, declaring that a humanitarian disaster is taking place before our very eyes. Here's NPR's Michelle Kellerman. In a strongly worded statement, the Obama administration joined Canada, France, Germany, Italy, and the U.K. in calling for an end to the bloodshed. It says 200,000 civilians, including many children, are cut off from food and medicine, while Aleppo is being subjected to daily bombings and artillery attacks. It adds Syria and its Russian backers appear to be targeting hospitals and schools in a, quote, attempt to wear people down. Just this week, Russia vetoed a Security Council resolution calling for a seven-day ceasefire. Moscow complained that the vote was forced to undercut its talks with U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry. Michelle Kellerman, NPR News, Washington. The Dow is up 65 points. This is NPR News. The jury's been selected in the death penalty trial of Dylan Roof, the white young man charged with fatally shooting nine black parishioners 
at a church in Charleston, South Carolina last year. Jurors have to decide whether the attack was racially motivated and, if convicted, whether Roof should be executed. Paris is restricting driving again because of high pollution levels. NPR's Eleanor Beardsley reports it is the first time Paris has put in place such drastic restrictions. The city where the world signed a pact to lower greenhouse emissions is currently suffering some of its highest air pollution levels ever. The mayor of Paris is restricting cars from the city's roads for three days, alternating between even and odd-numbered plates. The levels of fine particle matter in the air in Paris and several other French cities have exceeded the World Health Organization's maximum hourly exposure guideline since Monday night. The phenomenon is mostly caused by a pre-winter weather system where heavier, warmer air and a lack of wind traps colder air and pollution on the ground. The pollution is mostly from home heating systems, and diesel vehicles. More than 60% of French cars use diesel fuel. Eleanor Beardsley, NPR News, Paris. On the Senate floor today, lawmakers from both parties are paying tribute to Republican Senator Kelly Ayotte of New Hampshire. She narrowly lost her bid for re-election to her state's Democratic governor, Maggie Hassan. Colleagues spoke of Ayotte as a lawmaker of integrity and a warrior in Congress, whether it meant going to war with Democrats or members of her own party. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News, in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Pajamagram Company, offering 27 matching holiday pajamas for the whole family, including cats and dogs, and with Charlie Brown and Norman Rockwell themes. In knits, fleece, and flannel. More at pajamagram.com. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hello, welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo here with our producer, Jay White. And uh, who's our call person taking the calls today? Uh, Jay White is also the call taker, so you'll get a chance to talk to our producer. If you call in, he is famous, and he may give you a token or some other Christmas gift. I don't know what. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring if you want to talk about anything medical. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at University of Mississippi Medical Center, and I have a sidekick who I will introduce in just a minute that is also helping me take your calls today if you have anything in his particular area you want to talk about. And so it's all things considered at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're gonna to go to pedal and we're gonna to go to your house if you call us on Winnie any of our uh several open lines or you can send us an email at southern remedy at mpbonline.org and we will answer your questions there as well we hope you're having a wonderful holiday we got a lot of callbacks and other interest in our discussion about coals because everybody has one right now and we'll try to get that covered during the program as well and also talk to someone who's been here before uh 
and he has a very, very complex last name that is called Sathiamorphy, but we're going to call him Dr. Kumar, and he is one of our pediatric anesthesiologists at UMC and knows all things anesthesia. And since uh, we are having uh, so many uh, accidents over the holidays with some of these motorized vehicles and broken limbs and that and the other, there are going to be some people uh, getting anesthesia for uh, repairs, and I just wanted you to have a chance to ask any questions you have about uh, operations with an expert who is here. I understand there's some new information about um, kids that get repetitive general anesthesia for um, for whatever, heart surgery, uh, whatever they have to have operations for, that suggests it's best to limit the uh, amount of anesthesia exposure they get. Is that right? Uh, yes, Dr. Uh, that's uh, right. Uh, all the studies uh, in laboratory animal studies have proven uh, the effect of the anesthesia on the long-term growth of brain, especially if it's exposed in very early on in development, that they can have learning and memory and behavior problems. Uh, in humans, there's no direct evidence to show that anesthesia does impact uh, the development of brain, uh, but a lot of research has been done to uh, prove this question one way or the other. The preliminary studies have shown that kids who have shown, uh, who are very young, who got uh, repeated anesthetics, more than three anesthetic procedures uh, lasting more than two hours, have some impact, in, in fact, in uh, learning and behavior issues later on in life. Wow. So we have a lot to talk about, about anesthesia and whatever you want to talk about. we got a real expert, and he knows a few other things, too, that he can help us with. So uh, we'll take your call at one eight seven seven mpb ring And let's start taking your call by going to Fred and Pedal. Hey, Fred. Hey, Dr. Rick and Dr. Uh, Kumar. Uh, excellent. You are you are amazing. It's that check I send you every week. I'm I'm getting it, but I'm not <laughs> cashing until after the new year. Don't cash it. it, it good. It's made of rubber. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Rick, this yeah. is not my problem, but uh, it's another person. Okay. I won't be able to answer too many questions at all, but uh, I was calling like uh, what causes panic attacks and, and uh, uh, racing heart and high blood pressure jumping up during these uh, situations. Uh-huh. I remember one time in the past you, you mentioned something about how what cha- one chamber of your heart generates an electrical charge to make your heart beat, uh-huh. and you had to go in there and kill off some of that because you had too many uh, uh, inputs from this chamber that was uh, causing right. maybe this type of situation. Right. Okay. Dr. Well, th- Rick, I'm going to hang up so I can... Uh, Thanks for that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for that. So panic attacks are very, very common. Uh, and they uh, occur in folks who react to stress under uh, in a, uh, a non-efficient way. For instance, there are types of panic associated with um, fear of heights, uh, fear of being in a small area, and there are medical names for all of these, uh, but... Uh, uh, the the mechanism is the same, 
and that is fear. So there's a reaction to fear that causes uh, a fight or flight response, which is our uh, genetically controlled way to deal with fear. We either fight it or we run from it. And the way that we deal with that is we release a chemical called adrenaline into our blood, which does all kinds of things. It jacks up our glucose level, our sugar level, uh, to give us energy to fight or flight. It gives, uh, uh, speeds up our heart rate, um, uh, does a lot of different things that would prepare you for defending yourself uh, under a situation that was life-threatening. Unfortunately, this can be triggered with just general stress things like we see medical students who, before exams, get this. Their heart starts beating. They have a feeling of impending doom. They want to run away from the situation. They can get shorter breath, so forth and so on. It's a very, very frightening problem, and most people hyperventilate. They breathe real fast with this. Uh, So the treatment for this is, number one, to make the right diagnosis and make sure it's not something else, and then to develop uh, some uh, mechanisms to deal with it. There are several online apps for people with panic disorder that you can actually go online and uh, use one of these apps to help you work through one of these spells, mostly using controlled breathing techniques. We used to use paper bags, but uh, the controlled... Uh, breathing techniques are very effective uh, and and things that you can do without having to go see a doctor for this. However, if that doesn't do it, then you need uh, to use uh, to get, get an evaluation for that. Some people with hyperthyroidism or some other medical conditions start having these and need more of a workup. So I hope that helps you. And if not, send me an email and I will send you more than you want to read about panic attacks. So thanks for your your call. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo here with Dr. Kumar, and we're taking your calls on all topics. Uh, And if you have anything you want to know about surgery or operations, Dr. Kumar is here to talk about uh, that, and we're going to have a general surgeon as our uh, um, sidekick next week who will also be talking about surgery because we've gotten some emails suggesting people... um, Uh, that have emergency surgery are really, really frightened about it and need to know a little bit of information. So who's next, Jay? Jay, who's the next one on our list? Let's go to uh, Robert on the road. Okay. Hey, Robert, what's going on? Robert, you with us? Roberto. I think we lost uh, Robert. Robert, if you will call back. Robert wanted to know about toenail fungus, and so that is one of our favorite topics on this uh, program, and we'll take your call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four 672 if you give us a call. And, Robert, if you don't call back, I'll talk about fungus in a minute after I talk with Sherry in Vicksburg. Hey, Sherry. Hey, how you doing? Well, we're doing better now that you called us. Okay, good. What's happening? I have... I have a question. Uh, I'm going to see a surgeon next week, yep. and I have a lipoma. Yep. How did it form, and what questions do I need to ask? You know, the surgeon when I get there. I mean, it, what kind? I mean, is this an inpatient, outpatient, 
surgery, you know, and what kind of anesthesia? Is it kind of like the same, you know, local, you know what I'm saying? Okay. What, what can we I got expect? you, and those are all super questions. So let me let the guy who spends his whole life in the operating room answer that question. So she wants to know what is a lipoma? Yes, uh, lipoma is a very common uh, condition. It's basically uh, it's a fat cells. It's a benign condition. can be called benign tumor. It can be very slow growing. And it usually found in the back of the neck or in between your uh, scapula bones at the back. And sometimes it can happen in any part of the body. And uh, when it gets bigger or it becomes a cosmetic problem, uh, the surgeons will like to take it out. And it's usually done as an outpatient procedure. And depending on the size and location, uh, it can be done under just local anesthesia. And that means sticking a needle in with some deadening stuff, huh? That's right. When That's same as when you go to a dentist, they numb the uh, teeth before pulling it out. Say exactly, uh, you inject uh, local anesthetic medication that numbs the area just surrounding where the lipoma or tumor is located, and they can take it out in an office. Uh, it's a little bit bigger when it is placed deeper in the muscle or tissue. You may have to get uh, general anesthesia. That means you have to go to sleep uh, under uh, gas anesthesia and IV medications so that you will not uh, feel or remember anything. Yeah. Uh, that may be done in an operating room, but still it is a same-day procedure. That means you go and have the procedure done and go home the same day. Yeah. So uh, there, there is something called conscious sedation that you have with things, procedures like colonoscopy that are very quick, and then general anesthesia for longer procedures. And if you're interested in knowing more about either of those, give us a call. We're at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and we'll get Dr. Kumar to tell you more about that. Let's go to our next call, caller, who is Peter in Corinth. Hey, Peter. Hey, uh, Dr. Rick. Thanks for your call. I had a question about tonsil stones. Tonsil um, stones. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you haven't heard them, they're uh, yeah. calcium and bacteria formations that collect in your tonsils. Right. And they result in, you know, really awful breath and uh, sometimes a bad flavor in your mouth. Well, I have these, and questions I have is, if you're fighting them for a while, is it best to just get your tonsils removed? And also, is there any chance of them being caused by any contagious bacteria? Okay. So let's talk and a little bit think- about chronic tonsillitis, Peter. Um, this uh, flebolis, which are those sort of calcified areas of pus pockets in your tonsils are not in themselves necessarily pathologic or bad. Uh, But they do indicate that you have or have had uh, chronic infection of your tonsils. And the tonsils are actually lymph nodes, just like those knots in your neck and other places that swell up when there's an infection. And people with chronic tonsillitis... Uh, can uh, can uh, develop such chronic infection that uh, that they're on antibiotics all the time, and that's an indication for taking them out. Or if the con- tonsils get so big that they're obstructing your airway, then that's another indication for taking them out. Now, just having flebolis or little pustules in there uh, are is not an indication, and I'll let Dr. 
uh, uh, Kumar talk a little bit about uh, the surgery for this when it's taken out because tonsillectomy is not a risk-free operation, although the risk is low. There are still potential complications, and in adults, those complications are higher than in children. So I'll let him speak to that. Uh, bad breath most often comes from stuff growing on your tonsils. I mean, on your uh, on your tongue, not on your tonsils. Uh, so we have these bacteria that grow on our tongue. And if you look at your tongue every day, you'll notice that sometimes it's black, sometimes it's yellow, sometimes it's gooey, sometimes it's dry. And that's why it is so important to brush your tongue when you brush your teeth every day, you should reload your toothbrush after you brush your teeth and brush your tongue. And that is a major cause of, uh, uh, of bad breath. Chronic tonsillitis can cause bad breath, and, uh, but most of the time that is not a common feature. So what about taking your tonsils uh, out? Is, uh, what kind of anesthesia do you use for that and what are the risks? Yes, uh, tonsillectomy is uh, one of the most commonly done procedures uh, in young children. Uh, As Dr. Uh, Rick mentioned, it's uh, done for two main reasons. Uh, One is the frequent infections. The other one is the getting enlarged and causing snoring at night. And it causes a medical condition called sleep apnea, uh, which can have uh, bad effects on the heart and lung and the brain over long term. Uh, Regarding the anesthetic point, uh, the children frequently go to sleep uh, first with the mask. Uh, we give them gas through the mask, and once they are asleep, they will need a breathing tube for this procedure, and they will be having general anesthesia with the gas. Uh, uh, it is. Uh, what about uh, adults? In adults, it's uh, the anesthetic uh, plan is almost the same. Uh-huh. Uh, they they also get a breathing tube and the anesthetic gas. Uh, the only difference is. The children uh, are afraid of needles, so they don't get the intravenous catheter or the IV catheter uh, when they are awake. So more of all, almost all the time, they prefer to go to sleep with the mask first. We play with them. We'll give them the laughing gas first. Once they get drowsy, we uh, turn on the anesthetic gas, mm. and they usually go to sleep uh, within a couple of minutes. It works extremely fast, and uh, in adults. Uh, they can get an uh, intravenous catheter before, so they get uh, administered medications administered through the IV and they go to sleep that way. So that's the only difference. Once they go to sleep either way, both uh, both of them will get a breathing tube, means a tube uh, in your windpipe through which we administer the anesthetic gas that keeps them sleeping. Okay, so uh, we'll also uh, give Dr. Kumar to talk about a new newer technique that allows you to do certain kinds of general surgery without even having to have one of those tubes put in your nose and down into your airway, which is very, very helpful. The big complication from tonsillectomy is bleeding, and that occurs usually when the scars turn to turn loose a couple of days later or a week later, and that can be very, very serious. And your ENT surgeon will give you all kinds of cautions and stuff about that uh, if you elect to have that done. But I think you need to pursue other uh, sources of your bad breath. Uh, and uh, a person that is really good to help you with that is your dentist. The dentists know all about this, and they can look at your tongue and your 
um, your gums and make sure they're not other sources. So I hope that helps. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics, here with my colleague, uh, uh, academic anesthesiologist, uh, Dr. Kumar, and we're talking about whatever you want to talk about. We're open for any questions, and having him here is also a help to talk about anything surgical or well, he's good on everything. So give us a call. We're at one eight seven seven MPB ring. And let's go to Jim and Jackson. Hey Jim. Hey Jim, you're on Southern Remedy. Good morning. Um I was I had hip surgery and before going to the dentist I was advised that every time before I go and have a cleaning, I need to take an antibiotic. And I'm curious as to the reason for this, and I'm told it's for the rest of my life. Well, we're going to look that up uh, and see if we can find an indication uh, for that. I've never heard that before. Um, There are indications for using antibiotics before surgery, and most of the time that a dentist is cleaning your teeth and so forth, uh, there are no longer recommendations for that. So I don't really know uh, why they made that recommendation. The major time that we recommend uh, antibiotics before surgery are people who have prosthetic valves uh, or have uh, cardiovascular, have valve problems in a native valve in their heart. And we're trying to prevent infections on that uh, new or old valve. Uh, I'm not really sure. Do you know about... uh, prophylaxis uh, for uh, prosthetic hips. I've never heard about that before. Uh, uh, me either. Uh, as Dr. Rick mentioned, it's uh, most commonly uh, indicated when they have uh, heart uh, surgeries, when they have a metal in the heart. The concern is when you clean your teeth in a dental procedures, a lot of bacteria uh, that can go into the blood. And if you have a, a metal uh, in the heart, the bacteria can go and settle down in those valves and call a condition called uh, endocarditis. Uh, with the hip surgery, there is a metal, uh, if you have a prosthetic hip, if you have metal uh, sitting in the hip, uh, it is a concern, but uh, as far as I know, uh, it's not routinely recommended. Okay, we'll look that up and give you some more information uh, on that. Uh, we have a bunch of computer resources here, but I would, the number one thing, the one number one message is to call the orthopedist who told you that and make sure there's not something going on that we don't know about with that hip uh, that would make him want to suggest that. There have been all these different uh, types of hips put in, and some of them have had some uh, post-operative infectious risk that I'm not aware of. So I would check with that, and, and uh, we'll check again on our uh, computer resources and give you some more information about uh, antibiotics before the dentist. But I will just tell you those uh, recommendations have been totally redone in the last five years, and it's rare that uh, we we do that anymore. Okay, Jim? Thank you. All right, good to talk to you. Uh, We're taking all calls on all topics, and we'll take your call at 1-877-672-7464. That's 1-877-MPB-RING if you give us a call. And we have another call uh, that we'll take now, and then we'll take a very quick break and be back with you 
uh, to uh, take uh, some more calls with Dr. Rick and Dr. Kumar. And we have Rick on the line from Clinton. Hey, Rick. Hey, how are you? We're great. What's going on? Well, I just wanted to find out, whenever I have surgery, the doctors say, um, you have a choice of anesthesia. They say local, MAC, or general. If the doctor can just maybe expand on the differences. And also, what's the difference between um, a anesthetist giving anesthesia versus a doctor giving anesthesia? Great questions all. Great questions all. So that... Uh, that abbreviation he gave Dr. Kumar was the thing I had mentioned, this new form. And I actually had that uh, when I had to have forgotten what I had to have surgery for. Oh, oh, I had a hernia repair, uh, a hernia repair. Uh, and um, I had had uh, a previous intubation previously for something else similar to that. <clears throat> and they had injured my vocal cord with the intubation, which is a, an unusual circumstance, but a risk and always happens to a doctor if it's going to happen. Uh, so, uh, there's a new way. So, uh, to not get intubated. So first of all, what's the difference between general and local? So, uh, general anesthesia where, uh, you, you, you are sedated and you have loss of consciousness and uh, there's a different, uh, level of uh, loss of consciousness. Uh, when you say conscious sedation, means you are uh, drowsy, but you can still respond to uh, commands and you, are, you can be still aware of the surroundings. Uh, in general anesthesia, you are completely unaware of the surroundings and you don't respond to any commands. So it is a deeper level of sedation uh, where you have you go into general anesthesia. When they say MAC, it's called monitored anesthesia care. It is a... a scientific term where conscious sedation where you will be administered medications to make you drowsy or sleepy but not too sleepy that you are you don't respond to uh, verbal commands uh, and you are not completely unaware of the surroundings and God, the, I want that and the biggest thing is <laughs> and the biggest concern about uh, completely going to sleep you, you lose your reflexes like a, a gag reflex, when you have uh, something in your throat, you have you gagging. That is a preventive, uh, is a protective reflex. But when you lose that, when you go to sleep, you want to protect your airway uh, from uh, stuff going into it from the stomach. That's why we put in a breathing tube to protect it from things getting into your airway. So to avoid that, you can have a lesser level of anesthesia where you give uh, agents just enough to make you drowsy or sleepy that having a couple of drinks, but still you will be able to maintain those reflexes and you avoid those risks. So I presume that that's for lesser surgeries. You wouldn't have that for heart surgery or a major orthopedic procedure, right? Yes. This is for biopsies and, uh, you know, of fixing shoulders out of joint, something quick, right? That's right. Uh, minor surgeries, you can have a hernia surgery under local local anesthesia basically takes away the pain and the sedation takes away the anxiety part. You are uh, afraid of the surgery. Uh, you don't want to be uh, completely awake. So that's the only uh, thing that helps with the conscious sedation. And the newer technique uh, Dr. Rick was talking about in uh, where you can avoid putting in a breathing tube is uh, 
putting in a device called LMA uh, is LMA LMA uh, mm-hmm. is the full uh, the full terminology is uh, it's a laryngeal mask airway where basically is a mask that goes uh, in, instead of putting on top of the face is designed to go in in the mouth and sit behind the tongue uh, and it it helps with giving the uh, oxygen and the anesthetic gas mm-hmm. and you breathe through that and be sleep and it, it that's is, what i had with my hernia repair and it was wonderful because i did not wake up hoarse uh and with a sore throat uh so they uh and i i elected to have general anesthesia because older guys they frequently put in all kinds of patches and other things and it takes a little bit longer than the usual hernia surgery so i was given the opportunity to have it either local or general I didn't want to know anything about it, and I did not want to be waked up under any circumstances. Uh, I just wanted to go to sleep. And uh, I knew the risk and benefits of doing that. That was not as safe as having this other technique, this persistent monitoring technique that you have, but I just didn't want to wake up. And uh, so they used this LMA thing, and I didn't have to get intubated, and it really helped me uh, recover quicker. I presume using less anesthesia helps speed your recovery from it, right? That's the real advantage. That's exactly right. Uh, in modern anesthesia, in uh, almost most of the uh, elective procedures can be uh, done with general anesthesia using an LMA instead of a breathing tube uh, that can help with a pro- uh, lesser level of anesthesia but still general anesthesia and helps with a faster recovery and can avoid... Uh, the most common complications like a so severe sore throat or a vocal cord injury and uh, uh, anything right. else that causes right. trauma to the airway. So, Rick, local anesthesia is when you put a needle in and just numb it up like lancing a boil or taking off a lump or doing a biopsy. And general anesthesia is when you're zonked and you don't know what's going on. But there are different levels of general anesthesia, and that's what we tried to sort out. We're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to come back and talk to Tommy and Wayne. And to you, if you'll give us a call, we're only going to be away about 30 seconds. We're at one 877 and we want to take your call. We'll be right back. Support for MPB comes from the Pediatric and Congenital Heart Center of Alabama at Children's of Alabama, a cardiovascular care center for children in Birmingham, Alabama. More at childrensal.org slash heart. This is an important message for all MPB viewers who use an antenna to receive MPB TV. On Monday, December 12th, our DOT 1 and DOT 2 channels will change. MPB HD will move to DOT 1. A brand new 24-7 children's channel, PBS Kids, will premiere soon on DOT 2. 
Subchannels Dot 3 and 4 will continue to carry Create TV and MPB Think Radio just as before. Cable and satellite viewers shouldn't be affected. If you have questions, please visit our website at mpbonline.org. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hey, welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick here with Dr. Kumar, and we're taking all your questions uh, that we can on any topic. And if we have an open line, we're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven MPB ring. Next week on Southern Remedy, we're going to have Dr. Helling, who's a general surgeon, who is going to sort of brief us on some of the new. Uh, non-invasive surgical techniques. You can have just about anything removed now through a scope. And then we'll do a holiday special on December the 21st, uh, hopefully giving you some, uh, sharing some holiday joy with you. And we'll have fun on that. So I looked up and Dr. Kumar both looked up while we were on uh, the uh, break, uh, this question about whether or not you needed prophylactic antibiotics for dental surgery uh, if you have a prosthetic joint in your hip. And uh, basically, that is not mentioned. Um, the indications on my list are prosthetic heart valves, uh, including the homograph valves, which are pig valves and uh, human valves and so forth, uh, and cyanotic heart disease, congenital heart disease, uh, that has been repaired uh, or any kind of valve regurgitation like mitral valve prolapse. So if you've got mitral valve prolapse, then that might be what why, why he was talking about. Did you find anything else on that? Uh, I just found uh, that that is a new statement from orthopedic surgeons about... Uh, so it's not on the uh, infectious disease guidelines. It's from the orthopods. Orthopedic surgeons, yes, uh, and we may have to uh, read up more on that. Okay, so some of the orthopedic surgeons are using a different set of guidelines. Yeah. So what I would do is exactly what I recommended, is to talk to your orthopedic surgeon. It may be that the orthopods that are putting in these valves uh, are seeing enough uh, in uh, putting in these prosthetic joints or seeing enough infection in the joints after dental procedures that they're now recommending prophylaxis. So your orthopedic surgeon will need to talk to your dentist to tell him uh, what they're recommending because this is not a this is a new recommendation that the infectious disease people have not yet signed in on as best we can tell. So let's go to our next caller. Uh, who's that, Jay? Let's go to Tommy. All right, Tommy. What's going on in JS? Is it JS? Is that how you say it? Yes. What's in JS? Is that a train stop or a... Just a little small town south of Brookhaven. What do y'all do? I'm retired. Well, that's a good thing to do. <laughs> that's the best job of all, isn't it? Yep. How, what can we do for you? I got a question about Prozac. Is there any real bad side effects for long-term taking it? Okay. 
uh, Prozac is um, a family of uh, uh, antidepressants, which are now increasing. That that family of antidepressants of what Pro- Prozac is a member are now also being used chronically for pain relief as a pain, part of a pain management program. So many people are on Prozac for a long time. People who have had major depression and are placed on SSRIs, uh, it's presently recommended that they continue that SSRI f- f- indefinitely because major depressions tend to be more recurrent. Now, there's some generalization. That's a generalization, but in general, that's a recommendation. For people who have chronic pain and they get on these agents for those, uh, it's also um, a recommendation. For people who have panic attacks that are frequent, we also use SSRIs, in particular certain ones, Prozac is not the one, that is the most beneficial. Prozac is one of the oldest SSRIs that we have. It is, um, and they call it serotonin reuptake inhibitor. That's what that SSRI abbreviation is for. Serotonin is a chemical in your brain that affects your mood, and this drug keeps it from being metabolized and increases your level of brain serotonin uh, and, uh, and improves your mood in most people. The biggest side effects that we have from Prozac in men are complaints of impotence. Uh, and we always tell people uh, that are going to use the drug that it can cause impotence, and we switch to another drug if it does or try to decrease the dose. Uh, that is a reversible side effect. There really are uh, uh, no long-term, well-characterized side effects that are associated with SSRIs, including Prozac, and to the best of my knowledge, none that are not reversible, no side effects that are not reversible. Uh, You can have allergic reactions to these drugs and so forth. But in general, they uh, seem to be very safe and are unassociated, for instance, and I know what you're thinking about, uh, with the onset of dementia uh, or other brain things. Do you have anything to add to that, Dr. Kumar? Yes, uh, I think uh, in the long term, it can, uh, in addition to the sexual dysfunction you mentioned, uh, it can cause increased weight gain and it can affect the sleep patterns. Uh, insomnia is a major concern if you are uh, taking on a long-term basis. Right, and those those are also uh, reversible side effects. Actually, we use some of these agents to help sleep. This particular one is an activator. Prozac is one that we tend to use on people uh, who uh, have the kind of depression that's associated with sitting in a chair all day and not moving. There are some people who have... Um, nervous systems like mine that actually get hyperactive when they're depressed. So this is the one that we use for people who have low energy depression. It's one of the first ones that generalists like uh, me use uh, as a regular basis. So uh, that's the bottom line, weight gain. uh, You can have some effects on sleep, impotence. Uh, those are the biggies, and those are all reversible. And by the way, the way we use these SSRIs is if one doesn't work, we switch up to another one because you can't tell which one will work and which one won't, either by history or laboratory work. It's a experiment. We have to do an experiment, and that re- that is one of the reasons that you have to go back to your doctor 
if it doesn't work. One of the biggest problems we have on this program is uh, getting people back to their doctors. They go to the doctor, they treat them with something, and it doesn't work, and they don't want to go back. Well, a lot of the times we're looking for a response, and that's how we know if it works and choose another therapy. Thanks for your call. We appreciate it, and continued great retirement. Let's go to Wayne and John's. Hey, Wayne. Wayne, are you with us? Yes, I am. Is that John's, Alabama, or John's, Mississippi? Mississippi. You know there's a John's in Alabama, too. I didn't know that. It's very near the Mercedes plant off the freeway. Uh-huh. Okay. You know why I know that? Because you're from Mobile? No, because my dad was born there. Ah. Yeah, there was it was a big mining area, and my dad's father ran a commissary for whatever coal place was digging there. And he was born there, so that's that's the only reason I have uh, any knowledge of it. I actually went to see it recently. Nothing left. Oh no! So I was just wanting to make sure that you had a service station, and some gas station, and I was going to send you a, some food if you didn't have any food in in Johns, Alabama. But it looks like you're in a better Johns. What's your question? <laughs> um, two things. What is your uh, uh, opinions or thoughts on? Uh... No sedation dental work. Okay. Actually drilling on your teeth. And then the second one is uh, I have a uh, a tooth just in front of my wisdom tooth that is broken. And my dentist had told me in the past that since I had had some previous uh, uh, fillings in that tooth that it was going to probably break along those lines. And it did. So I've lost about 20, 25% of the surface area of that tooth. But there's no pain. So is there any rush for me to get that restored can mm-hmm. i wait a month or, or what do i need to do has he has he uh recommended a temporary or a permanent cap on that tooth or he hadn't made a recommendation yet <clears throat> not yet i haven't been i've got the appointment uh set for the first week of january yeah so i haven't been back to him do you chew ice no okay now anytime we have people who break teeth uh, we always bring this up, and I've never mentioned this on air, so I need to do this, uh, and thank you for the opportunity to do that. When you uh, chew ice, especially if you hold ice in your mouth uh, and then uh, chew on it, the teeth uh, enamel becomes more brittle, and it's easier to pop a tooth. And so uh, that's one of the reasons that uh, I should not chew ice, but I do. Uh, so uh, just be aware of the fact uh, about that. In general, the recommendation is that to stabilize, once you have a, a broken tooth, the uh, geometry of the tooth is changed in such a way that when you bite on that tooth, there's an increased risk risk for a further fragmentation of the tooth. So the general recommendation is to get a cap on there you're fortunate that it doesn't hurt. You could get away with not having it capped, but you would have a risk of actually fracturing it further and then having to uh, have it removed and have you know, a, a prosthetic tooth or a bridge or something else. So uh, my recommendation, my mother was a dental hygienist and my daughter-in-law is a dentist, so I speak with very little authority on this, but more authority than most generalists, uh, that would be my recommendation. And uh, that would be a, a, what I would expect your dentist to recommend when you do go see them. So I would check in. Now, what about this dentist, uh, dentists are advertising on TV now that they can do anesthesia in their office 
and you don't have to worry and you can go in and you can take a pill or you can take something intravenously. So what are the options for, um, from your perspective as an anesthesiologist for, or when we have a big oral surgery group at UMC, so I know that you're, you know, you see people getting these kinds of procedures. Um, is there something better than the old stick of lidocaine that hurts so much and burns, uh, is it a good idea to get uh, some tranquilizer or something? Everybody hates going to the dentist, and you sort of want a dull experience. Uh, uh, by the way, my dentist is terrific, and I don't mind going to him at all. Uh, but uh, what what if I was going to have some surgery on there, it would be a different deal. So what's the story on that? Yes, uh, a minor procedures, as you mentioned, about putting a cap or uh, fixing a teeth can be done under local anesthesia. Uh, Whereas a big extractions like uh, I had four wisdom teeth uh, extracted, uh, that's a big painful procedure. Yeah, I'll pray for you. And uh, yeah. the dentists uh, do have that option of giving uh, uh, the laughing gas, uh, the nitrous uh, in their office. And nowadays they have they get specialized training in administering uh, the agent called propofol, which is a very short acting, very deep anesthetic agent that can put you to sleep. And these are brief procedures and. Uh, and more and more dentists are doing uh, dental procedures like uh, wisdom teeth extraction with the propofol uh, sedation in their office. Okay, so everybody and his brother is going to want that. So let's let's give him some detail. Laughing gas is nitrous oxide. Is that right? That's right. What does that do to you? Does that make you crazy for life or dumb or anything like that? Uh, nitrous oxide is a weak general anesthetic, so been just, used for a jillion years, right? That's so it's been safe. That's why it's not. Uh, it does not uh, knock you out completely or take out the reflexes out completely. So there is a lesser risk of uh, uh, having a general anesthesia, complete general anesthesia, but it can still uh, give you amnesia where you don't remember things, and it does give you some analgesia, and uh, it puts you to uh, sleep. So it, it's been used in dental procedures for a very, very long time. So you still have to have local anesthesia with it once you get it, right? Because it doesn't totally numb you up. Yes, uh, local anesthesia is always needed. Uh, uh, it's uh, that's an, That takes away the local pain. Uh, but the, night, uh, the laughing gas or the propofol, what it does, it makes you uh, unaware. Okay. So propofol is a whole different ball of wax. It is a whole different ball. Now, is propofol a narcotic? It is not a narcotic. It's a general anesthetic administered through the vein. Okay. And is that, uh, is that weight-based, or how, how do they decide what dose to give you? Yes, it's usually uh, administered uh, on a weight-based uh, uh, dosage. But, again, everybody's response can be uh, varied, and it is uh, titrated, means you give in small amounts uh, as needed, uh, whatever the dose is needed to put the patient to sleep. Okay. So the dentist is working on your mouth. Who is giving the anesthesia? That is a, a dental assistants uh, uh, who are helping with the procedure, who are trained in providing sedation. They are administering the agent. So do they have to be certified to do this, or can anybody do it? No, they have to be certified. Uh, they go through the sedation course, uh, and uh, they are uh, uh, trained in uh, resuscitation, where you you can uh, uh, help them uh, help the patient breathe yeah, and monitor the vital signs. So the the risk of that is getting too much and stopping breathing, which would be a real problem in a dental office. It is a real problem. Yeah, 
And so you need to know about that before you choose that option. So the safer, and, and I know under an anesthesiologist's care, propofol is, I mean, it's a godsend, especially in colonoscopies. Um, and it's wonderful. You don't remember anything. Uh, you don't remember your income tax. You don't remember your mother-in-law. You don't remember the car trouble you had during the surgery, anything, anything like that. And uh, so, uh, but it, it can make you stop breathing. And I had a colonoscopy and stopped breathing with that stuff and scared the gastroenterologist to death. Uh, Fortunately, I had requested an anesthesiologist to be there and it got fixed. But if that gastroenterologist had had to deal with it, it would have been a problem. So you need to make sure you're going to a dentist and that has an assistant that has the full training to take care of this, right? That's exactly right. Propofol is a general anesthetic, and it is better administered by anesthesiologist who had the complete training in uh, uh, anesthetics. Uh, but if you are going to a dental office and requiring propofol sedation, you need to make sure that the dental assistant who is uh, trained and certified in providing anesthesia, as, as you all know, propofol became famous from uh, Michael Jackson. And so it, 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 is, it always, always has a risk of making you stop breathing. Yeah. And you need to be ha- having a person who is, uh, has specialized training to take care of that. Okay, and they charge you more for that too, right? I mean, it's a big charge. It is a big charge. It is additional charge. Uh, it's a big charge. It's a general anesthesia. Yeah, and you're, if you have dental insurance, they may not pay for that. So before you have the big-time anesthesia in the dental office, which some people clearly need, you need to find out what the cost is, whether they are trained and certified, whether they have uh, a defibrillator in their office, uh, in case you get a cardiac arrhythmia, and whether or not they are set up to do intubation or other uh, breathing support. And um, so I strongly recommend you, that you do that. Uh, now, you don't have that problem with uh, laughing gas, right? You don't have that problem with just using laughing gas. And uh, uh, I said it is a, a very uh, lighter general anesthetic, and you don't uh, really stop breathing with uh, laughing gas alone. All right, Wayne. Thanks for calling us from Johns, Mississippi. I will remember that the rest of my life, that we have a Johns, Mississippi, and try to get there and and check it out. So thank you for your call. Hey, we have some open lines. We're at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's Dr. Rick and Dr. Kumar. It's All Things Considered on Southern Remedy. We're taking calls on whatever you are talking about or thinking about uh, over the holidays medical-wise, so we have an open line. Give us a call. We're going to Ann on the road next. Hey, Ann. Um, hi. I am uh, on the road right now. Be so careful. I have to drop my phone. <laughs> I understand. Be safe. Uh, thank you. I should pull off, shouldn't I? That would be a good thing, and we'll I wait if you I'll want to do that. that. I'll, I'll do that while we're talking. Okay. Um, my history is that I have had three major surgeries in my life, um, and all three times I experienced what my surgeon referred to euphemistically as recall. I heard you refer to not wanting to experience that yourself a little earlier in the show. Um, the first was a C-section, and it was 40 years ago, but it lives in my 
mind vividly because I wasn't able to communicate. I had had general anesthesia at that time for that surgery. So you had general anesthesia, but you still knew everything that was, was going on. I was wide awake. I can yeah. quote you chapter and verse what what my surgeon actually realized. I hope he said. Uh, I hope he said it is a great honor to be here with this beautiful lady and to assist her. <laughs> Under these circumstances, and by the way, she looks much younger than her stated age. (laughs) Well, it was just a horribly traumatic experience. I'm sorry. I told him I didn't think I could have another child. Uh However, I did, and I had um, epidural. Mm-hmm. so that I could communicate, uh-huh. and even then I did have a good deal of pain once we cut through the, you know, the right. very inner layer. Yeah. But I was able to communicate that, and that that obstetrician told me, if you ever do this again, tell them to play another hand of bridge while you're, uh-huh. after they think you're anesthetized. The third time, it was a block I had up. Uh, shoulder surgery, which was more recently a rotator cuff. Mm-hmm. And that was not during the surgery. It was actually when they, they had sedated me. But And it wasn't the anesthesiologist that I had met. He was instructing someone else right. how to give me this block in my neck. Yeah. And that was what was excruciatingly painful. But once he finally hit it, then I was out for the rest. Uh-huh. Okay, well, Ann, let me, let me uh, we're going to run out of time here if we don't give him a chance to respond. So let me get the anesthesiologist to take that question. I think she has two questions. One, she doesn't want general anesthesia again because she had an episode where she was awake during general anesthesia. I've heard of that on TV programs and in horror movies, but never actually had an anesthesiologist talk about and secondly if she doesn't use general anesthesia what would be the best way to have surgery and not suffer yes uh, general anesthesia being aware under general anesthesia is uh, extremely rare and uh, one of the rare circumstances are high risk cases cases are the C-section or a heart surgery or a, a trauma surgery where we cannot have uh, give enough anesthesia safely without uh, uh, causing increased risk. So there is increased risk of awareness under general anesthesia in those specific surgeries. The alternative is as you had an epidural or a spinal where you will be numb and you don't have to worry about going to sleep completely and be uh, completely awake. And any, she should get a second opinion from an anesthesiologist before her next surgery if it's elective to deal with this, right? That's right. And you, they will do that pre-op. Yes, the, the pre-op uh, evaluation will help you uh, determine the uh, perfect, uh, right anesthetic plan for you. All right. Thanks for being with us. It's been another exciting program on Southern Remedy. If you can get your question answered, send us an email.